Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, military vaccine mandates, politically correct admissions to a formerly high achievers high school, the top in the nation, and culture clashes. We're going to talk about all of that with Hung Kao. In today's increasingly managed information landscape, independent journalism has never been more important. Support factual reporting without the censorship by visiting CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. Proceeds from sales go to causes related to independent reporting, including the new ION Awards I'm sponsoring to encourage accurate, off-narrative original reporting. Also, check out my bestsellers on this topic, Stonewalled, Slanted, and The Smear. And thanks for being part of the solution. Today, an in-depth interview with a Vietnam-born American military special operator turned political candidate, a man named Hung Cao. The main reason I was interested in talking with him is because of his advocacy on the part of military troops, who are, in his words, being purged from the military for refusing COVID vaccination. So you'll hear his views on that. But he had a lot of other interesting things to talk about, too. Very thought-provoking. Here's Hung Kao. So I came to this country as a refugee in 1975. Our family escaped there just literally days and hours before the end. Uh, we moved into the United States, and it gave us all this opportunity. But um, my dad couldn't find work, so I, we ended up moving to Africa. So I grew up in Africa. We spent seven years over there. Uh, where I went to French schools my whole life. And then at the age of 12, my parents then decided that, you know, my dad had to stay there. My mom brought us home here so I can learn English. And I went to school here in Northern Virginia. I um, went to, I was first class to graduate from Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia. And then I went to the United States Naval Academy where I graduated as Special Operations Officer. And I gave back to this country everything it gave me through my service. Um, 25 years commissioned service after the Naval Academy um, as in the special operations field. So basically the explosive ordnance disposal and deep sea diving. And I fought alongside SEALs, special forces in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia. I've been to Pakistan. I've been to Albania. I've been to uh, uh, at the bottom of the ocean, uh, you know, recovering uh, bodies and uh, plane wreckages and uh, doing other things for this country underwater. But, um, you know, what, what really got me to run for office was two things. Obviously the fall of Kabul, because I had just left there six months before, before it fell apart. And, um, and really my friends getting kicked out of the military. Uh, you know, what, when Kabul fell, it broke my heart because it was just like Vietnam falling all over again. Um, and I, I told my wife, hey, I, I really feel this, this urge to run for office, you know, just a nudge from God or whoever, you know, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm, for me, I, I feel it was a God thing that he, he nudged me this way. And, and my wife said no. But in January, when our friends were getting kicked out of the military for refusing the vaccine mandate, that's when she said, no, you're the only one that can uh, really fight this. And so that's uh, where we are now. We, we started a campaign um, at the end of January. And here we are four months into it. And we're in the lead. And it's, uh, it feels really good. I think people well, let, just let want me, to um, interrupt there. That was a good synopsis. But before we get into the nitty gritty, your background makes me want to know a few more things that I think listeners will also be interested in. First of all, just some general reflections about 
living in Vietnam from what you remember or know and living in Africa and living in the United States? Okay, no, those are great questions. So Vietnam, I was very young when I left there, I was four years old. Uh, and so when people ask me what I remember, you know, children get imprinted in their minds what they remember and see. I remember, you know, how scared my parents were. And then, and at one point we were all crying because my dad had to go separately uh, in another path um, so that they wouldn't suspect that we were trying to flee the country because again, he was a high Viet Vietnamese official. I know my mom sewed uh, notes and money into our clothes that says, this is my child, please take care of him if we get separated because they were really afraid of that. I know that uh, at one point the, they were afraid that all the kids could not go with them. We had, they had five kids. And so, you know, which one of the kids would they have to leave behind? Who could defend them for themselves and they would be able to, to get back to them later or, and who would they leave them with? And those are the horrors of war, right? Those are hard decisions parents have to make. And um, yeah, that, that was, that was very, one of the things that was, uh, that I remember the most. I remember just little weird things like us having a duck down so they don't see our heads through the, uh, through the windows so the snipers didn't take us out. Um, well, and when you lived in Africa, where was that? And was that a place where you felt, because I don't know too much about Africa I visited, but I can't say about the lifestyle. Um, where you were, did it feel, was it a democracy? Did it feel free and open, like a great society like America? What, what was your experience? So I grew up in West Africa. And so most of our time was in Niger. I mean, my, my dad worked in, in other areas around there and, and we, we traveled with him here and there, but our, our main place was Niger, Africa. And so in those African countries, the way they come to power is through a coup, right? So uh, it's, it's not really a, dem a democratic um, process. It's just whoever is the, the most powerful person at the time they overthrow the government and then they're in charge. And it's sometimes it's a it's a very quick coup overnight, but you know, there's still fear. You you lock yourself in the house and then the next morning there's a new whole new regime. Um and you know, I mean the African life was for them it was very um how do I say it? this is it's it's very uh you know they, they just care about what's what's within their their 15 meter perimeter right they, they they just care about what happens right around them they don't really care about you know it's new guy in charge got it you know we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, salute him when he comes by and that's about it they go back to their ways of life but the interesting thing i saw about in africa and all over the world that where i've served is um you know over here we make it seem like we're the most racist country but you know, racism and hate has um, existed in our society since the beginning of time, right? I mean, Cain murdered Abel from the very first generation of human beings. We we murdered each other out of uh, jealousy. In Vietnam, they uh, you know they hated the Chinese. The Chinese hated the Japanese. In in Niger, they hated the Tuaregs, which is a um, it's not just your your Volkswagen vehicle. It's you know it's a the, it's a nomadic tribe that crosses the Sahara Desert. And then um, in Madagascar, where we were. Uh, they hated the Indians because they owned all the shops, you know, in, in Europe, they, you know, the, the Greeks hated the Turks and vice versa. So, I mean, there's, there's always hate everywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, I think we exploit it as a, as a weapon. Uh, when we, when I say we, it's really the left really exploits it as, as a weapon to, to kind of break us all apart. Uh, we're, you know, our, our country's motto is e pluribus unum, out of many one. And you know, instead of looking at things that separates us, we really need to look at things that that unites us and brings us together, which is being Americans and being free.
Well, you know, I have my own reflections too from traveling around the world, whether it's Asia, Russia, Africa, um, all the places I've been, I can say without reservation, you know, Turkey, Italy, Europe, every, all those places, the United States is by far the most welcoming of the most kinds of people and the most types of people that get along better side by side with, with different kinds than any place I've ever visited. I mean, there's not even a close competition. So I, I think I agree with your Sorry. reflection yes, on that. No, ma'am, you, you're so right. Because I mean, Ronald Reagan said it best where, you know, you can go to Greeks, uh, or, you know, you can go to Greece, you can go to Germany, you can go to France, but you'll never be Greek, you'll never be uh, German, and you'll never be French. You'll be a citizen, but you won't be, they won't call you French or, or German or Greek, but anybody can come to the United States and be an American. And, and you see that when we, we parade our Olympic team, it's the most amazing thing when you, the US Olympic team walks out there, we look like the world. Whereas other countries, they look, you know, cookie cutter um, like each other. And so I think that's the most beautiful reflection in the United States is the US Olympic team when they walk out there. Now you don't need to give a too much of an explanation unless you want to, but why would your father have picked at that country in Af West Africa to go to the way you described it. And then what brought you guys to the United States? Well, the, what brought us to the United States is really the, the freedom and liberty. And, and uh, I mean, we only went to Africa. He went under to work for the uh, US uh, Agency for International Development, USAID. So we were under the banner of America. Um, he, he, he had his, uh, he received his uh, graduate degrees from uh, Cornell University in agriculture. So when he came to the United States, we came to the United States, um, his friends who were now senators and congressmen, and one was the secretary of agriculture said, you know, Quan, I mean, unless you want to be a farmer, there's really not much to do over here with agricultural, uh, advanced degree in agriculture, but there's so much you can do for, uh, to develop Africa and that you can make a good life for your family and yourself. And so we, we picked up and moved over there to a country. His first place that he went was Cameroon. And at the time it was very, very volatile. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not, not stable in, in the least bit. So then, uh, then he found Niger and it was much more stable. After that, he went to Zaire. He went to Senegal. Senegal was more, much more uh, stable. Zaire was not. And then finally, uh, Madagascar. So, um, you know, he, he's had to endure a lot of hardships. I mean, these, these were not easy countries to live in. You know, you have to let the water run for at least 30 seconds before we went from really dark brown to somewhat clear. And then even after that, you have to you have to filter it, you have to boil it, you have to put iodine in it. And, you know, after by the time you drink it, it just tastes horrible. You know, that makes me wonder, this is a bit of a side note, but I've been thinking lately how not just young people, but people in this country will tend to say things like, someone hurt me by not reacting properly to the something I did the way I wanted. And I think if that's hurt, if that's the hardest thing these people are having to endure in this country today, boy, we've sure come a long way from, you know, places where they have to fight for their daily survival for food and electricity and basic necessities. But I hope I'm not getting too far off before we get to the main topic, but you said you went to Thomas Jefferson. And I don't know if people know about this high school. I live in Loudoun County in Virginia. And I know from my friends about the controversy, why don't you synopsize what has happened at TJ? And there was a recent decision, I believe that upheld what the state or the school is trying to do in terms of 
it's, it's according to my Asian friends, and I have many here, they're trying to eliminate the overwhelming Asian dominance, which is happening naturally at this technical school because of the um, superior performance of many of the Asian students when they apply. But go ahead and give me your description. Well, thank you so much. Yes, it, uh, again, I was the very first class to go through there and it was, uh, you know, half of my class, you address them as doctor because they're either PhDs or MDs and it, they're amazing human beings. So this is a magnet school for not just Fairfax County, but all the surrounding areas. It's actually a governor school as well. And over the years, over the last uh, 32 years of its existence, the uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, demographics is about 73% Asian. And so last, uh, two years ago, Tom, um, the Fairfax County Public Schools Board decided they were going to change the admissions criteria from a meritocracy uh, where, you know, we take tests like, like I did when I, first, uh, when I was first accepted. You take a test, a battery of tests, and, and they, they, they kind of rate you and rank you, and then they accept the top 400 students. In my class, it was 400, and then 337 of us graduated. Uh, and so they didn't like that because they, it didn't represent all the demographics in their eyes. So what they did is they went to a hybrid system where part of the, the calculus included bringing in the lottery system of just anybody that can come in there. And so it, it dropped the Asian population from 73 to 53%. But it's not just about that. It's just, you know, we all start at the same level, at, at one level of education where everybody had already taken algebra and geometry. So it, it put us in line to finish uh, our studies with calculus and differential equations, making us very, very competitive to go into college. But now that they, they changed the criteria, some of these kids were not ready to take algebra. I mean, they hadn't taken it and they, they weren't even, they didn't have the propensity to learn algebra at that level in that rate. And so it, it pulls down the entire school because now everybody's waiting for the, the kids that weren't prepared to come in there and that didn't have the academic acuity to, to, uh, to really successfully matriculate that, that uh, course of study. And uh, so the, um, the parents of TJ, the TJ coalition put in a lawsuit and the judge upheld it saying that racism by any means, whether it's to, against one group or another to, to benefit another is racism and it's, it doesn't belong in the school systems. But the appellate court uh, overturned it uh, two to one. And then, uh, so then Attorney General uh, Jason Mieras uh, filed a amicus bill with 15 other attorney generals from across the nation. And uh, it went to the Supreme Court and they, they upheld the appellate court's decision that, that you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson can continue with the current hybrid uh, system. And again, this is, this is hurting our, our students from across the nation at schools like Harvard, MIT, Stanford, because you know they, they felt there's too many Asian kids there. And so really, if you think, think of this way, you know, it, it holds us back. And um, it's a, this thing that they, they like to call equity, which you know, is another word for me. You, you, you call it you know, communism, socialism, Marxism, and then now they call it equity, which is not the same as equality. Equity means equal outcomes. Uh, but equality is equal beginnings. And so we need to really differentiate that and, and look at the root, root of, of these, you know, the reason why they want to do that is because they're trying to, they're trying to, to, to hold certain demographics back or just make it all the same outcomes, which 
it's not. I mean, we don't see that in the NBA, the NFL, or, you know, or the major league baseball. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a reason that why we, we teach kids to, to strive for the best. Well, you bring up a point I've, I've been saying lately of all the places that some people expect, say the Supreme court, which is impossible to make the demographics look like America. There's not enough positions and that's silly anyway, in my view, but for all the places people argue that should be the case, no one argues that in these high performing athletic endeavors that it should be that way that are often largely dominated by African-Americans, but nobody's saying, boy, whites are underrepresented on the certain positions, you know, in basketball teams, nor do I think they should be saying that, but it's just, it, it shows that there is, you know, as you're saying, unequal treatment or perhaps hypocrisy when talking about what's, what the real goal is with TJ, Thomas Jefferson, I feel like that's the downfall for the school. Not that diversity leads to the downfall, but the idea, and I don't even see how that benefits the students who can't perform at the same level, to go into a school where there are so many high performers and understand that they were admitted not because of um, the same qualifications as the others had, but that they were just put there so that there would be a mix of kids. Um, I don't see how that helps anybody, but that's up for other people to decide. And I really haven't talked to or debated somebody who has the other position. I'm certainly open-minded to hear more about that, but I just wanted to hear your view as a former student. Well, just one, one thing, just to close that up is uh, I know a lot of people say, well, it's some kids, um, their parents put a lot of money in to get them prepped for these tests. It's, it's not true. And because for us, you know, coming from where we are, my parents taught me one thing, you can have money and you can have position in life, but that can be taken away from you. But the only thing they can't take away is, is the knowledge is in your head. That's why we, we in the Asian community push that so hard because we've seen, we've seen the fall of a country, right? I mean, we've seen, I, I, I woke up one day and I didn't have a flag to stand under or a country call my own. And so that's why I served in the military for so long to defend our country because I could not allow that to happen to my kids. You know, I took sacrifices and likewise, my parents made sacrifices. My mom came back here. My dad stayed by himself for 15 extra years in Africa by himself in these hardship areas to give us that opportunity. And so I, I was not going to flounder away everything my parents gave me. And I, I did not want that to happen to my kids. And that's why I served and fought for this country for so long. Well, the traditional success of the Asian American population or even foreign born Asian population in this country says to me that this country offers opportunities that even if foreigners come here and don't speak the language, but can ultimately succeed with their own businesses and in our education system. I think that proves the point. And a lot of people don't like the fact that that proves the point that there isn't an inherent bias against minorities or non-whites here in the United States. But that's my view. Yes, ma'am. Um, so let's talk about the, the reason you came to my attention. I've, I've been very interested in the vaccine requirements for the military and others, particularly when and I'll tell you, I had to do a, spe a special search to find the articles and the scientific commentary that promised on the front end that the COVID vaccines would prevent infection because people now mistakenly write, oh, it was never supposed to prevent infection. Well, yes, it, it was billed as that. And you can find that with the right kind of searches online. But now that we know it, it doesn't prevent infection, and in fact, studies are showing more people who are vaccinated have, um, been infected with COVID, 
Um, and there's all kinds of reasons. You know, I know that there is the hypothetical theory that if you get COVID after vaccination, that you would have had a worse case if you hadn't been vaccinated. Of course, that's impossible to know in any individual case. But I think by and large, many scientists think the vaccines have been a failure in terms of what they were supposed to do. Yet we're still left with professions and the military, I guess, still requiring them, which makes no sense to a lot of people. Give me your views on what you saw happening and where things are today, as far as you know. So my, my concern is that this is the largest purge of all Christians out of the military. And, and, and that's the truth behind it is because these vaccine mandates um, and then the exemptions were for religious exemptions. And every single one of them have been de denied, including one of my uh, good friends and, and a uh, Naval Academy graduate. He's, he was a Commodore of a helicopter wing. He was the number one Commodore. So that's an 06, uh, so Navy captain uh, uh, or you know, Army Colonel equivalent command, where he was the number one commander of all the Air Forces in the Atlantic Fleet, uh, the US Navy Air Forces in the Atlantic Fleet. He was the number one guy. And he, he, he had contracted COVID. He, he said, hey, I, I'm Christian. I'm not going to get a, a vaccine that goes against my religious beliefs. He, he had contracted COVID and recovered from it. And so what he did is he pulled his, uh, he had his tires pulled, right? They, they drew his blood and they compared his antibodies with that of his flight doctor who had both vaccines and been boosted. He had twice the amount of antibodies that his physician had. And they still denied it. They still denied his his religious exemption. It just makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't. And you, no, and it's it's painful to, to watch. I mean, these vaccines were were made really. Um, I don't know. Overnight, you know, miraculously overnight, they have not been tested. There's been cases of hydro uh, hydro. Uh, um, oh gosh, now I'm tripping on the word. Um, my, uh, my uh, hydromycarditis, uh, basically the carditis. I'm sorry, I, I had it. I had that word on the tip of my tongue, and, and it's just when you <laughs> think too heart, hard. I believe it, that's inflammation of the heart muscle. Yes, ma'am, it is. And pericarditis, which is I think inflammation of the lining. I mean, there. Listen, you can go to CherylAxon.com, look under the health and medical tab, and I've tracked the vaccine side effects. I've tracked the developments of all the warnings, you know, the blood clots and so on. And I am um, not anti-vaccine. I just say that because the propagandists will listen to anything I publish and try to falsely portray the news reporting and the facts as anti-vaccine because that was a vaccine industry propaganda campaign launched some years ago. So I'm certainly not anti-vaccine and my daughter's fully vaccinated and I was fully vaccinated. So the, the fact is, as you say, there are many side effects to be concerned about, particularly if you don't need the vaccine or want the vaccine or are at high risk for serious illness with COVID. And yet forcing people to take the risk, however slight it may be of the vaccine, when they're already protected, does, it, it really does make no logical sense. And many scientists have said the same thing. So I think it's interesting. I hadn't heard it billed as a Christian purge, um, but that makes sense. And I know a little bit about, I think some people are, are making religious exemptions because they have scientific reasons they don't want to take it, but those aren't accepted, which is kind of ironic that that won't even be considered if you have a medical scientific reason not to take it. But then there are um, Christians, and if I'm 
correct, it's because many vaccines, including these, or some of them, I don't know if all of them, are originally made with aborted fetal cell lines of, um, I guess that's part of the ingredient or the technology. And of course, if people object to abortion, they don't like the notion of using the resulting product. Do I have that half right? Yes, ma'am. You're, you're absolutely right. And and uh, and then the mRNA. You know, they're they're worried that it's you know it's going to alter your DNA. And again, again, I, I want to stress to everybody, I'm not an anti-vaxxer either. I was in Afghanistan. I had to get the vaccine in order to remain there. Uh, my wife uh, is an EMT. She had to get the vaccine, and she has she had a, a vaccine injury from it. I mean, there's still um, shooting pains that shoots down one side of her body from from the vaccine after you know after it happened. I have a, a Marine Force Reconnaissance um, guy who was uh, a wounded warrior, and uh, he he's he's 39 years old and he's now on a pacemaker, and they try to blame it on on burn pits, right? And he said the last time I was on a burn pit was 12 years ago. I got this uh, issue with my this condition with my heart as soon as I got the the um, the second dose of the the Moderna, and and they didn't want to hear it. And it's just people are dis disregarding the deaths. That are occurring from this, as well as the the vaccine injuries, and that's a it's a concern. Much more after a short break. Let me say for those who are listening, the doctors who encounter these adverse events after vaccination, even if the doctors don't think they're related to the vaccine, are supposed to, in fact, required by law, to report them to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It's called VAERS. You can find that online. You can report them online. You can even report them for yourself, for a friend, for your wife. And you're not saying you know that the injury was caused by the vaccine. That's not up for the doctors or us to determine. But all of the adverse events afterwards are supposed to be reported to this database so that they can be studied and something may emerge that they didn't know was a side effect. This typically happens with medicine when it's used in a broad population. This is the only way they'll know. But we've heard from medical professionals that doctors are not reporting them as required by law because they're improperly saying off the front end, oh, that can't be vaccine related. So I urge people to make your own reports. It's not hard you know, to do it online. And also be aware, I hear a lot of people say, I was fine within a couple of days after my vaccination. Well, scientists know that vaccine adverse events can happen weeks, months, or years after the vaccine. And if you had a pre-existing condition, if your friend, for example, had a vulnerability due to the burn pits, it doesn't mean that it wasn't the vaccine that exacerbated an advancement of the pre-existing weakness that he had in his system. But like both can be true. One doesn't rule out the other. So I think that's important to say. Where do we go from here? Let's say, and I'm not advocating you as a candidate because I don't know the other candidates. That's not why I had you. But let's say you get elected what can you or what can elected officials do, if anything, about this issue in the military and, quite frankly, other places that are requiring uh, the vaccination without the scientific basis for it? Well, first of all, we need to bring in those, uh, those heroes that we kicked out because they refused the uh, vaccine. And a lot of them got kicked out at 18 years, which is wrong, right? So that's two years away from retirement. Um, I, I had written a, a, uh, a proposal to... Uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, you know, saying, hey, uh, again, I know li I live in Virginia, but at the time I, I was still uh, a Florida resident and, and I was very tied to Governor DeSantis saying, okay, what if, 
you brought him into the National Guard, Florida National Guard, and keep them un, under Title 42, and then um, let them work out their their time. And and you know they were looking at that. However, we need to bring these people back in and let them finish their duty honorably. Because if you think about you know the, the two sides of this, say a person enlists in the military for four years, they decide they wanted to have a sex change operation. You know, they were going to pay for it out of taxpayer money. But for the two years that they're on those psychotropic drugs, they're not allowed to touch a weapon or be deployed. So during a four-year enlistment, we're paying for a sex change operation, and we're making all these, these exemptions for them to not deploy and not be not be uh, uh, combat ready for two years, up to two years, or, you know, about two years. But we won't make make uh, exemptions for, for these, these Americans who serve honorably for, you know, upwards of 18, 19, 20, one guy, Caleb, uh, a good friend of mine, he, um, he was going to get kicked out up to, you know, 20 days before he, uh, he reached 20 years. And I said, Caleb, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go there. I'm going to kick you in the leg and break your leg. And you're going to be in medical hold for those 20 years, uh, 20 days. But this is what we need to do. And I want to go in there and look at the root, root of why we're doing these things. I mean, um, look in Africa. There's very few deaths from from uh, COVID because they use things like hydroxychloroquine as a prophylaxis for malaria. In in India, the largest state in India, which is about two thirds of the population in the United States, completely eradicated uh, COVID through use of ivermectin. Their uh, their uh, their um, medical strike teams use that as a prophylaxis, and none of them have contracted COVID. So we are not looking at off-label things, but yet we're willing to look at remdesivir, which kills a lot of people. And in fact, it was, um, you know, it was, you know, that Dr. Fauci wants to, to propel that for his own, I think, personally, it's a, his own monetary process. We need to look at what, what motivates Dr. Fauci, uh, Gary Jesus, right, the World Health Organization, you know, that um, the Biden administration wrote some amendments and basically wants us to be subservient to the World Health Organization for, for uh, any kind of public health issues. So <laughs> again, public health issues is, is now so broad that they even add in gun control as public health issue. So these are problems I, I'm, I'm looking at this, this um, I wanna root out this, the problem, but it's like a rat's nest. You know, you, you, you start peeling back the onion, you see it, it's this weird intertwining thing, but we have to get control back to the American people and back to the United States not be beholden by the World Health Organization, not be beholden by, by a physician who hasn't seen a patient in over 50 years, being Dr. Fauci. You know, we need to look at the, the uh, you know, the world cared enough, we would look at where this originated from, which we knew where it originated from, in, uh, instead of worrying about, you know, who didn't get the vaccine and closing down shops, you know, closing down, honestly, like shops that, that Americans built with their own hands. And really putting this this in this um, this deep recession, and uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of issues going on, and we need to to really, as American people, say enough. Stop stop with these mandates. Stop with this these executive orders. You know, let let Americans be Americans, and and we'll figure this out. My last comment. Then I we have time for one last comment from you, and on something I say or anything you want to say. Um, I think these are such big things. I mean, the things we're talking about addressing in this country, they involve our most established institutions, which have been in some cases, in my view, co-opted over time, over a long period of time, 
I'm not sure how that gets excised in any way, you know, not just by one person, but even by a whole group of people in Congress were there to be some unconflicted people elected in a large group. I just don't know how you dig it out. Is it something you think you just attack little by little in pieces or does there have to be a giant restart? I mean, I will be doing a piece in the fall about many scientists think our public health agencies in light of these failures and the misinformation they've put out should like CDC should be completely reinvented. But I don't see how that ever happens because the people who support them and they and the corporations that back them are in charge. Final thought. You're absolutely right. It's, it's how do you eat an elephant? You know, one, one bite at a time, right? And uh, you have to go in with a coalition. And that, I'm, that's why I'm going in with a coalition of 42 men and women that I served alongside with, uh, you know, called Seal Pack. And we're working with other members who are true veterans, uh, you know, true patriots and veterans that we're, we're looking at each other saying, this is not what we fought for. This is not what we bled for. You know, this is not right. And, and we need to get our country back. And, and, you know, with a coalition that big, we all take different chunks and go at it. And I'm telling you right now, and, and I know I'm throwing this back, but um, this is going for loop, but this goes back to Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, this, the, um, COVID came from China, and you're looking at a lot, a lot of things that are happening. With 23andMe, everybody uh, puts in their $199 to, to see that they were from some Nordic track, uh, Nordic tribe. But really what they're doing is collecting DNA on us, and, and they can manufacture and, and, and engineer anything with that DNA. And then you look at the, the defense industries. Uh, a lot of them are big industries. Uh, are they, they're, they have... Uh, dealings in China, and that's a clear and present danger to the United States of America. You look at some of these uh, congressmen and senators, they have a lot of ties to China. And so they turn a blind eye to, to what's going on in China, but then they're, they're, they're turning against, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, U- Ukraine and, and, and this, uh, this issue in, in, uh, between Ukraine and, and, uh, and Russia, which is, you know, it's disheartening and it's, it's painful to watch. But you know, we have to look at the clear and present danger right now to the United States, which is the Chinese Communist Party, which has infiltrated everything from our technology, right? Uh, they, they, they own all the chip manufacturing. We have no idea. We have no means right now under this administration to build our own foundry to make our own chips. Uh, and, um, and then uh, the fentanyl that's coming in through the south. I mean, we had to stop all the DGI, you know, those, those drones, because all those drones send back information back to China. Uh, 5G is also an issue uh, around the world, the One Belt, One Road initiative. A lot of the stuff, think about it, it's, it's this web that's, that, that's kind of woven around our, our country and around our, the world that we need to be aware of. And honestly, I mean, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. This COVID came from China, right? And uh, Well, not only did it come from China, I've been remarking how most scientists disagree that we have these controversial, dangerous scientific research partnerships going on with the communist Chinese. And as of this date, there's been no announcement that we've halted any of those. There's been no announcement that we've done anything in response to the Chinese failing to cooperate on the front end with COVID, letting us see the lab, which we helped finance, letting us um, see data, which could have potentially helped us and save lives. And yet um, you don't hear anything about that, but- No, you're absolutely um, right. We're almost out of time. And I just final, you have up to four minutes for a final comment and then I'll say thank you. Cheryl, this has been such an amazing thing. I know we've gone around the world and everything between 
you know, living in other countries and, and uh, racism and, and, you know, to uh, COVID and then now the Chinese Communist Party. But, uh, you know, I think I think America has spoken, especially with the, the elections last year with uh, um, Governor Yunkin and, and, uh, and Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears that they want outsiders. We're tired of bureaucrats who, again, have dealings with China and, and uh, other nefarious countries that, that don't like America. And also they want somebody that likes, looks like them too, especially in the uh, 10th district where it's 45% minorities and they, they, they want somebody that thinks and looks like them. And I, I, I'm the person to do that, to make that happen. And um, only because like I said, I've walked their walk. I, I, I know what it's like to wake up with, without a country and I'm not gonna let that happen to us. I mean, if I'm willing to put my life on line for our values and, and our constitution, what do you think I'll do for this district where I live where my wife works as EMT, where my kids go to church, and where my friends own businesses, I, I, you need a fighter in there. It's it's not the time for for bureaucrats and and statesmen anymore. It's time for for warriors to go in there and fight back for our country. And once I've fought back for it, I will turn it over to someone else because I believe in term limits, and I'm not going to be in there for a long time because I I want to enjoy my my retirement. Hankal, thank you so much, and I'll tell our listeners obviously. You can find out about the other candidates running for office easily by searching online. You can also find plenty of opposing viewpoints to what we've talked about. I would say those opposing viewpoints are probably predominant on the controlled information landscape that we call the internet now. So that should be easy for you as well. But I really enjoyed hearing from you and I appreciate your time today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll leave a review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. This week, a Social Security whistleblower who says the agency is cheating widows. And now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting my website, CherylAckeson.com, and clicking the Store tab. Right there, I have some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes like the new ION Awards for Independent Reporting that I'm sponsoring. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.